0: Welcome to the BDC podcast, a podcast in which staff at Barking Dagon College share insightful and entertaining conversations with the digital learning team. We hope to enrich the community at the college by making connections in each fortnightly episode. I'm Nathan, I'm a digital learning apprentice.
1: And I'm Andy, head of digital learning.
0: And today we're joined by Errol Seaman, STEM Development Curriculum Manager. How's it going, Errol? It's going very well, Nathan. Thank you for asking. Excited to record
2: this podcast. I am, I am. I'm Excited to share part of my story. Hope it will be interesting for the listeners. Uh, I think it definitely will. So, do you like to get straight into it? Yeah. I'm, I'm So this this story I want to share. I think, you know, it's a personal story to me, obviously, because I lived it. But I think it's a story of inspiration and persistence, and and a quality you think was which I think is really key for us, for our learners and um, resilience, you know? So it's just about my story and my journey to get to a university. I was fortunate to go to university in the United States, but I had a bit of a, um, let's say, a, a, a struggle to get there, shall we say. Um, so fortunate I started to play basketball around the age of, I was about 14, 14 and a half, started playing, got good really quickly. Um, and when I looked at a lot of the older players, you know, that, were, that I was around, they had progressed and gone to like high school or university in the United States. So a lot of us that were young at the time, it was a natural progression, progressional target, shall we say, for us to go that particular route. You understand? Um, and at that age, I didn't really know if I was going to be good enough to be a professional. It was just something I was pursuing, something I enjoyed. And uh so yeah, it was it was it was a a goal of mine, shall we say? Yeah, and I was I was fortunate. I was I think I was sixteen at the time. I went to my first. I was fortunate because basketball took me everywhere. I never really had gone on a plane until I started playing basketball. When I started playing, I went all over Europe. The first place, place I went to, I mean, I went to, I went to a tournament in Athlone, Ireland, and we went to a tournament over there. Then we toured all over Europe, Germany. Holland, Belgium, France, different places. And um, so the first time I went to the States, I went to this, in basketball, we call them camps. Yeah, so like a basketball camp. And it's quite a prestigious camp called a five-star camp. A lot of top players have gone through there, Michael Jordan, amongst other names. And um, so it was in Pittsburgh. So I've gone over there. um, My coach at the time, guy called Tony Gablotto, several other players from my squad and some other um squads around the year we went together and um and I played really well I had an awesome week played really well and uh, and I was offered a place to go to this particular high school in a, a place a high school called Lakota high School in Cincinnati ohio and um so it's not a scholarship at the time because it's a high school placement. And what would happen, you, you'd usually stay with a host family and live, live that life and, and so on and so forth. So that would have given me two years of high school at that time. So I was the first person from my program that had basically walked this path. So I was kind of a guinea pig at the same time. So um, you need a student visa in order to go to school in the United States. Um, so I've come back um, all excited, Told my mum, my mum, I'm going to university in the United States. And My mum's like, old school West Indian. She's like, you're not going nowhere. You're not going to staying here." I'm like, mum, no, nah, I'm seriously going to the United States. So, so we, so when I say we, like my coaches and myself, we ended up attempting to like prepare myself as best as possible. But as I said, we was quite inexperienced with the whole process, you know. So, so I've, got this particular form called an I-20. You have to get the I-20, you got to go down to American Embassy. And if, you, if you've never been to the American Embassy, it's quite an intimidating place. It's like you get there and it's quite surprising. You've got to figure out I'm 16 at the time and you, and you walk into this place and I think they're going to be all friendly and help, helpful and da, da, da. Nah, everything's just straightforward. They're all there and everything's like American. they the, the demeanors. They're just straight and stoic and like, And, like, so when my interview came up, essentially, like, why do you want to go to the United States? I'm like, well, I didn't know at the time. And, obviously, I'm going there for educational purposes, but I just finished my GCSE, so I've told them, yeah, I'm going there. um, Yeah, I've got a basketball. I'm going there to play basketball. In effect, not verbatim, but effectively I said that. And as as soon as I've said that phrase, effectively they've they've established that I'm not going there for academic reasons, not primarily for academic reasons, from their point of view, from what I said. As I said, they finished high school at 18 in the States. I finished high school at 16 here. I've just done my GCSEs. So right then and there, they carried on the conversation, stamped in my my visa, and they refused the visa at that particular time. So uh, it was heartbroken. So I was doing my, yeah, that was my first year out of school, so I was I was in sixth form at the time, and uh, and I and I fell ill that year actually. So I started, um, so I was doing my A levels, and I actually ended up coming here. So I, I didn't complete the first year. Ended up coming to Barking and Dagenham College as a student, and um, so I've continued the academic year. I'm playing basketball for my local team. And I was fortunate to have um, to be selected myself and a good friend of mine, a friend that I still do a lot of work with now. He actually published a book that I wrote and I do some music with him at the moment now. He produces a lot of music for me. Um, so myself and my friend Patrice Gordon, we were selected as two players that, was, that were going to go over to Biloxi, Mississippi in order to um, represent this high school um playing this high school. So we were flown over um, during the summer of that summer month. Patrice already had his visa. I didn't have my visa. The idea was that I go over there and play the two months out, return home after the two months, get my visa and then fly back. So I've gone over there and we've, this, we had a fantastic time. Yeah, so um, so it was, I don't know if if you've ever heard of Biloxi, Mississippi. Biloxi, Mississippi was one of these places that was really badly affected by Hurricane Katrina. So Biloxi, Mississippi's got, it's one of the few places in America at the time, I don't know if anything's changed now, where gambling's legal. But not necessarily on the mainland. So what they they have what they call boats. So they've got these massive casinos that are sitting just off the coast because is a coastal town, near beach town. So they've got these massive casinos all the way down. So we've gone there, and it's like it's just it's like a mini Las Vegas when you get there. One of our um, the two people that were sponsoring us. So one of them was a gentleman called uh, Dr. Timothy Murphy. He was a chiropractor. Who just had an investment within the team, wanted to help young people, and another gentleman whose son was on the team. And this guy was like a multi-millionaire; he was a CEO of one of the casinos. So, uh, so we've gone over there, and and it was just such that those two months there, it was such a um, an eye-opening experience. But it was just it was just fantastic in terms of just just getting to know the area. And we've so we've gone over there, and we've. Uh, we're mixing with the high school guys um, and myself, Patrice, and we had an, another two plays in the local area and the high school. So we've gone to play in these high school tournaments, like these major high school tournaments. One of them was at Mississippi State University. So we're this small high school that no one knows anything about. And we've gone over there and we've just kicked butt and we've won this tournament. No one knows us. And we've won the tournament. We are just really, really successful. So that was Missi- Miss- Mississippi State tournament. Then we've... A few weeks later, we've gone to the other tournament in South Alabama, and we've won that South Alabama tournament as well. And everything is just, just, just flowing perfectly. Um, and I remember even at the time, just, just, you know, sometimes you're in a situation where you, you're, you're in a position where you just can't believe that you're there. Like, so we got set up in our own little apartment. It was an apartment that Dr. Murphy had, and we he set us up up there for the for the for the summer, um, I've got a story I can tell with that as well, but I'll come back to that. Um, but essentially, as I said, the idea after the two months was for me to fly back and to get my visa. So I have flown back after the summer, Patrice stayed there, he's got his visa already, come back already, come back again and uh, gone to the American embassy and the visas got refused again. And I was heartbroken, it, this one hit me, man. I remember leaving the embassy, I was crying on the way back. And we did some different things this time, so I was like, I'm not gonna take this. So we, we I remember I went to my local MP. My local MP at the time was Ron Layton, he was a Labour MP for for the like the Newham Ward, East Ham Ward. Went in to, sat with Ron Layton, he's passed away now, rest in peace. And, uh, and he wrote me like a formal letter, you know, um, had no effect, you know, that, from from their governmental point of view, they stuck to their guns. Their point was, it's a student visa, and there's no academic reason for you going at this particular point in time. Um, so yeah, so I fi- I was still at Barking and Dagenham College. I finished my um, finished my A levels here at the time, and uh, and my only option was to wait until I progressed academically past the age of high school. So I'd be ready for um, for what would be university or over there they've got a system they call them university college but there's also a system that they call junior colleges community colleges which are effectively two year colleges where you can go over there and do your first two years and and then when you finish your first two years you'll progress to a four year college and finish your your next two years so but at this particular time I was just I was just there I just continued playing continued working on my game continued working on of myself from an academic point of view. And um, and, and it's it's weird because like be, being in that position, like you, in retrospect, I've lived the journey. But at that time, I never knew this was gonna happen for me. I I, I gave up hope to be honest. After the second, second refusal, I was just like, it's not gonna happen. So my focus was on just becoming the best player that I can be, being the best student I can be. And then luckily I kept in contact with Dr. Murphy and uh, and Dr. Murphy's a great salesman and uh, and he kind of pitched myself to a college that he, that he used to go to, a junior college. And this was in in Alabama, a small little town called Bay Minute, Alabama. It's not far from the capital of Alabama, which is Mobile. But this town was about half an hour from Mobile, Alabama, a really, really small little Backwater, southern town, like deep, deep south. I'm talking like. And um and he sold myself to him. So I wasn't six five anymore. I was actually six ten. Yeah. Um, and I was this big hunking, dunking machine, and uh, and they effectively offered me um a full scholarship without seeing me play, without any um seeing any tape. Um they just went on Dr. Murphy's word. And um, and yeah, I was just I was, and at that particular point, I went back to the to the embassy. Now, uh, as I said, it was a high level of academic achievement because now I'm aiming to go to to university slash college, and I was fortunate to get the visa this particular time. And um, and yeah, that was a uh, that was the start of my journey in going to America.
0: It's amazing. Yeah, like, it's the perseverance he had with that. I think, you know, going back and sort of getting the, I guess, rejection, and then, you know, sticking with it is really quite inspiring.
2: You know, rejection is, it's a funny thing because it really tests character, Um, especially when you're a young person. And, and And I say this because when you are young, you may not have the experience and you may not have the foundation from a parental point of view or from other adults supportive figures of how to keep persisting and keep striving towards what you're doing. Um, And to be honest, even my parents at the time, my parents are not, you know, my parents are old school West Indian parents. It's like, you know, they they provided for me, there's always food on the plate always close on my back, but they weren't the sort of parents where, they, where, they, where they're going to sit down and have that encouraging pep talk with me. Um, and a lot of that came from my coaches when I started playing. So I was I was lucky that I had those boosters around me and and just learning resilience from playing a game. You know, one, one of the things I always say, I think it's really important for young people to get involved in extracurricular activities, you know, as well as doing what you're doing from a, from an academic point of view, because I don't, I don't care what it is, from a, it, could, it could be sport, it could be dance, it could be music, it could be cadets, it could be a whole range of things. But I think there's so many other skills that you learn from doing these other things, even just working and having a job, you learn so much. And basketball for me became that platform where I learned how to deal with defeat and bounce back, how to, you know, strive towards goals, how to be able to, um you know just just have a target and aim towards that particular target and and you may achieve it and if you don't if you don't achieve it you adjust your 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 approach and and so on and so forth and and I was just fortunate to have that particular background and that and kind of that grounding and that was just the first start of it cuz we'll continue talking but um you know how it transformed me as a young person at the time I was 18 when I went over there, you know, and I spent four years over there. Um, but it was transformational for what I became as a person. Um, and I wouldn't be sitting in this chair now as an educator if I didn't walk that particular journey. That's all.
0: That's brilliant. Thank you, Errol. We're going to take a lunch break now. It's good. I'm hungry. Okay, so this is the lunch break segment of the podcast where we ask our guest what their favourite dish, snack, or dessert is. So, Errol, what have you brought along for
2: lunch break? Well, as you can see from my size, I'm I'm a guy that likes to eat. Um, So this was this was actually quite difficult to to narrow down my favourite because. So let's talk about my main dish first of all. Yeah, so. and I, and I like a range of foods, but there's a, there's foods from like from my soul, from like from when I'm young, and like my dad's a fantastic cook. He's like uh, just a monster in the kitchen. He was always the main, um, you know, chef in our house. And he used to make these what's called like a broth like in in West Indian slang, which effectively a soup, but effectively you've got pieces of potato, dumplings, depending on what it is. And he used to make this fantastic range of broths. He used to make these fish broths, these meat broths, these vegetarian broths. And they're, to this day, they're my favorite meals. He makes them less now. He's getting older and doesn't make them as much. But there's never a time where I cannot just imagine just sitting down and eating these particular Nils, these, 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 these soup broths that he used to make and just oh my god, even just thinking of them now. Well, he used to make this spin he used to make this he used to make this spinach one when I was young. And uh I remember my mum used to tell me, Eat it airily to make you strong like Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> I literally used to believe that and I literally did. Um and it made me eat my greens, I guess. Um but yeah, from a dish point of view, those particular dishes are number one. But from, from outside of my household, I'm a big fan of Indian food. I love Indian takeaways. Um and there's this particular like masala dish that I get from this particular restaurant where I order from. And it's like a spicy masala. It's like a king prawn spicy masala. I love I love curries, but I also love like that masala, the yogurt y sort of um yeah. consistency. But I'm I'm, I'm a smorgasbord type of guy, I'm a buffet guy. Like, like if you give me foods, I'm eating all of them at uh. once. I'm not the sort of person I'm gonna eat. Eat the food, like my my, my, nep- my, nep- my nephew's live in America. Yeah. One of my, my, nep- my nephews will sit there and you give them like say a burger and chips. One of my nephews will sit there and eat all of the fries first, and then eat the burger after. And I, I, I used to watch it and think, what are I you do that. doing? I do. <laughs> we're people, we're people, you <laughs> see. See, I'm a guy yeah, where... I saved the best bits to last, that's why. It's weird. Yeah, no, I, I do that, yeah. I eat everything at once. No, no, no. So, we're, so with the dishes, like, I like the combination of the spice of the curry, but the consistency of the yogurty, sort of coconut-y masala, so this spicy masala, that's the one, yeah.
1: So, for context of this, how tall are you, Errol? Because you're you're a big guy, right? Anyone that knows you I'm knows this. Just
2: under six five, a smidgen under 6'5". 6'5", Six five, yeah. You're, you're,
1: you're a big guy, six yeah. five, right?
2: Yeah. I'm big in but in basketball circles, I'm I'm average though. You oh, know yeah. right? oh, okay. I've had teammates seven wow. 7'2". Yeah, that's, uh, that's tallest I've played against seven five, seven seven.
1: Yeah, well, in this room right now, you're the biggest guy, <laughs> big guy here, <laughs> of course. And in the college, you're probably the tallest guy, I'd imagine. Um But one thing, I'm I, I think you still are. You're pescatarian, right? no
2: you're not anymore i was for three years oh okay um and um currently i'm i'm eating meat again yeah ah, yeah. Heard, you're, you're I, I, yeah you're vegetarian you're pescatarian actually but i remember
1: when because I, yeah. I remember this years ago we were in the canteen you were next to me and you mentioned that you didn't eat meat and i was like Wow, well, yeah. how are you my, my, how are you so big and you don't eat meat my, <laughs> like, my,
2: my wife's been pescatarian for over a decade now well over a decade now um and yeah, there was a three-year period where i did And and there's a period where I attended a wedding one day. um, And it was actually, it was a Pakistani wedding, right? It was a friend of my brother's. So my brother, myself and my nephew have gone to this wedding and they said that the food was gonna be served at 8.30. So I'm thinking, Asian wedding and I have not really eaten much throughout the day. But the food never came out until about half eleven, and I was famished by this time. And they didn't have many vegetarian dishes, so I was like, you know what? I'm eating. And actually, that was the first time I ate meat. And um, and then you back in? I'm back in. I'm back in the (laughs) meat. It's a good reason. I'd probably do the same. (laughs) Desserts. Yeah. What's your favourite dessert? So let me talk about snacks first of all. So my favourite snacks. I've just got a sweet tooth right. So my favourite snacks, I'm a biscuit slash cookie monster. I'm the man. I'll What's the you. number
1: one cookie?
2: I, I just like soft, big, gooey, big chocolate chip Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they've got to be like have that soft, <laughs> flexible consistency. Can't be rock hard them ones. Yeah. Chocolate chips, but are nice. And there's there's different places that do a really good job of producing the ones that I like without marketing them. Um, but it's gotta be that soft, yeah, the big gooey ones. But biscuits, listen, give me give me a hot drink. Tea, coffee, hot chocolate, give me a pack of biscuits and you'll see something special. <laughs> Trust me. Oh um, what, we need to
1: we should have bought like them, a that girl. is it. A... <laughs>
2: <Yeah. laughs> Dessert-wise, my favorite dessert is a nice, warmed chocolate brownie with ice cream. That's the best. I agree oh with that. Yeah, yeah. I regret God. that I didn't
1: tell that mine. That is the best.
2: A nice, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a well-done, gooey chocolate brownie with ice cream. That. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That is. That's, yeah. Hundred that's, that's
1: percent agree with that. That, that, that is a. That's a. That's a brilliant choice. It's the mix of the hot and cold, right? Absolutely. Because I'm the same. You yeah. have to have both. That's where you yeah. can mix. You don't eat the ice cream separately then, I'm guessing.
2: No. no. <laughs> I don't. I, everything's combined with me. So my wife, my wife, for example, she likes, for example, to have, say, custard with that sort of dish. Like she's a big, she will eat like apple pie and she's like apple pie and custard. But if I like add warm apple pie, I can eat apple pie and custard. So I can enjoy it. But I'd prefer the apple pie with ice cream, for example. Yeah. You know, yeah. Say, as you said, it's the mix of the warm and the cold contrast.
0: Okay that's the lunch break over. So Errol, brilliant story and I've of course got a lot of questions about that. My main one has to be how did you get started with basketball?
2: Yeah that's a a great question. Um, My sister at the time she started dating um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Patrick Jones who's my brother-in-law now, (laughs) they've been married. A number of years um, but he was playing for semi-pro for a local team called London Docklands at the time and um so me and my brother we went along to you know watch him play um and prior to the game they had um the junior team playing so I remember sitting it was at Noom leisure center I remember sitting in in the bleachers watching them play and I think yeah I could play that I could do that <laughs> I've never played basketball 20 level apart from messing around in school um so we introduced me to the youth coach at the time, um, Tony Garbalotto, and uh, ended up going down to practice. Um, and it was just one of those things where straight away, it just seemed to fit. It's, it's, it just seemed to fit, just meant to be. I remember me and my cousin were at the first practice together with the older guys. And I remember, I just got this image where we it was te- they were teaching us to shoot off the backboard. Like there's a little square at the behind the backboard, so you got to hit the corner of the square, and it will go straight in. So we were just shooting, shooting that. And I remember we both shot at the same time. They both went in at the same time. I remember us looking at each other like, "Yeah," and and just went from there. And I was I was fortunate because it was something where all of my close friends ended up doing it more or less. So it wasn't, I didn't have that that mental dilemma of I've got practice over here, but all my mates are doing this over here. Everything was really organic with the process. And then um yeah, so I was playing for, for, for the Newham Junior team at the time for about the first year or so. And then we combined with a Hackney team um, coached by the legendary uh, Joe White, who's passed away uh, since. Um, so Joe and Tony combined the teams, and we became one team under the umbrella of London Towers, which was the main professional team in London at the time. So we was London Towers Juniors, um, and then we were we had a very very successful program. We were national champions multiple years in a row, under 19s, under 17s. Yeah, we was the we, we was a kick butt. Yeah, we was we was a very dominant junior program. Yeah,
1: I've got a question, Earl. So um. Y- this is obviously this is a long time ago right how many years are we talking when you first went to the us
2: this was 94 right, right okay, that time yeah. when so i first went are you still playing now yeah i still play still yeah, play yeah yeah. yeah 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 i still play i play for a team called Irken ward um obviously lower level but still decent level so we play in the london league um and in the essex league um and uh, yeah still collect trophies so, so is this like weekly
1: you, you train play basketball yeah yeah
2: so we train um Depending upon, obviously, everyone's got different lives and everyone's working and whatnot, but we play. I've got a friendly game tonight, for example. Um, so the league's just started back. You know, we, was, we, we, we I was, mind myself, I was playing really well leading up to lockdown and lockdown happened, boom, and I effectively hadn't played for like a year and a half. So it's taken me a while to get back into really good, good game shape. <laughs> me being 45 now, I'm not, I'm not a youngster anymore. Um, so just being able to get, my body back into the groove, and literally, I practiced Sunday, and it was the first time I really felt like like normal, like as far as as much as normal as I can be at my age.
1: Yeah, yeah. And how about uh, was it Dr. Murphy? I might have got his name wrong.
2: Do you still, are you still in contact? Is still around? I'd say it's 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 one of the things where. It's funny, right? So we teach many students and we and we have many students over the years and over the years and some students will will maintain contact. So the majority of them don't. And yep. one of the things, and this is and, and I and I urge this to all people listening to this 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 podcast, like always remember that we don't do anything by ourselves in, in terms of success. There's always people that that help us along the way on the journey, and I haven't done the best of jobs of maintaining that relationship and that contact with Doctor Murphy. Still in contact, I still have contact with him, but as far as the amount of contact I have, I maintain, as far as communication, I could do a much better job of that. Um, but we, yeah, it's just it's, it's it's something that I I know in myself that I I can do better. Um, and not just with Doctor Murphy, just all around, just just help remembering the people that help you along the journey, because. As I said, listen, I got I got to fill this in because so when when I when I was a student in England, I was I would say an average student. Yeah, my GCSEs I got two Bs, five Cs, four Ds. Yeah, I worked hard, but I, I don't think I was anything special as a student. Um, and and I did less well at A level, at A levels as well. And and part of it is because I you know I just never saw myself as the academic type, and I didn't have. I'm the first person in my family to go to university. I never had people to push me in that way. My mum used to say, "Go get a job in the post office. Forget bloody basketball. Go get a job." But from 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 them growing up, coming into England from the West Indies, you know, you could get a nice stable job. You could work in that job for 30, 40 years, get a pension, and you was blessed, you know, and That's the way my parents saw it from a working class background, you understand? So I never really had that identification as a top student. When I went to America, because I had that rejection for two, you know, two successive years where I could have gone to high school. When I eventually got that university place, I was so determined to do well. And this was a conscious thought in my head. And I said to myself, I am going to work my proverbial butt off to be successful out there. And when I got out there, I did just that. Especially from an academic point of view, I spent a lot of my time in the library. Um, probably to the uh to the consequence of wider relationships I could have formed as far as just being, you know, more studious, um, sorry, being more social. And um so from an academic point of view, that I I I that first year, when I was out there, I was a straight A student, literally a straight A student, every course that I took. Um, every class that I took, I got I got an A in it, and all of a sudden, I'm being recognised from my academics more than I was from my basketball. And in contrast, from a basketball point of view, I lost my confidence that first year, and that was the first year I've been away from home. And I spent the whole year out of there, out there that year. The other three successive years, I came home at Christmas and had that break. But that first year, I was there all the way from, effectively, from September all the way to May. It was a a long period of time. I lost my confidence playing. I weren't really getting along with the guys on my team. And that tested me from, even when I talk about resilience, that tested me really a lot. I ended up hanging around with a lot of the uh, the European international students, actually, more than more than the American guys who should have been my, you know, my peers from that point of view. But I was very different from them. I spoke different. I looked like them, but I spoke different. And a lot of them weren't really academic from from just a high achieving point of view, you know. So when I came home that summer, listen it The whole summer, I in my mind, like I ain't getting back. Yeah, it was, I had such a, it was a tough time, as I said, like, listen, when when you're on a, especially on a, I, I would assume this carries with for most sporting teams, but there's a hierarchical level of reputation within a team where it's determined by your ability to play. You understand? And yeah. if you're the top player on that team, you carry a certain weight of influence and and reputation on the team. And where I'd lost my confidence, I didn't really play well that whole first year, especially based upon my reputation. Remember Dr. Murphy said I was 6'10, I've got there, and I'm six oh, yeah, six yeah. five and you know, and I'm a good player and I and I was betting than I played that particular year. And and it was near the end of the summer. I was like, Errol Grow up here. Like you wanted this for so long. Like, like you're not gonna do this. And and I and I and, and I went back the next summer for my sophomore year and uh and I just recommitted and um and I had a really, really, really successful um well I won't say really, I had a better second year, you know, um, and I continued you know, um, elevating as a student. And as I said, so this particular school was a two year school, uh, what they call a junior college or a community college. So I ended up finishing there. Then I had several offers for schools around the South. I had several schools in Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, and Dr. Murphy blessing me, took me to all of the schools that offered me places. So we drove around the South for 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 a month or so. And I ended up breaking it down between two schools. And one of the schools was a school that was in the middle of New Orleans, um, downtown New Orleans, called Xavier. It was a really good school. It was a black college and it was a really good for biology, which was my um, which was my uh, my degree at the time. Or my. So, and the other school was a school called North Georgia College, which was in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains. It was Appla- Appalachian Mountains. It's in this valley where the schools bang smack in the middle of the valley and you look around and it's, you just see nothing but just this, this this beautiful mountains all around. It's like a postcard, it's unbelievable. So when I visited this campus, so I went to Xavier first of all, and I just didn't want to be in the middle of it, in the city in, in terms of going to school. It was a good school, but I just didn't feel comfortable. I just didn't want to be in the middle of it, in the city. Then I went to North Georgia in this town called the it's about an hour north of Atlanta and I just fell in love with this campus and I knew I wanted to go there. And uh, and I ended up going there, finishing my last two years. Um and, and I had a really, really successful. I was an honours student my my junior year. I was basketball co-captain both both years. Um yeah, it was it was a really, really, really positive place for me to end my my academic career as far as university um and it really helped me to to just just to grow as a young man by that time
1: and then and then you returned home
2: right and then i returned home yeah i returned home and uh how did that feel it was weird you know what's weird about it is because like i i purposely didn't want to get an accent yeah i i purposely would talk with my english accent because I didn't want to come home and sound American. But what happens organically when you're out there is that you end up enunciating certain words so they can understand you. And when I came home, people say, what are you talking American for? I'm not talking American, I'm talking English. What are you talking about? (laughs) uh, Did you say it like that or did you say (laughs) it like that? I tried to, yeah. Um, (laughs) Hell no. (laughs) Um, But yeah, when I came home, I was was quite fortunate. I ended up... um, I trialed that that I was at Crystal Palace and we and I was trialling um, for a professional team and um, and a coach called Nick Nurse um, was there and Nick was the coach of Manchester Giants at the time and uh, and I played really well at these trials and uh, and I ended up um, he ended up offering me a place to sign with Manchester and ended up signing with Manchester Giants. That was my first professional team um nick's really gone on to great things he's currently the coach of the toronto raptors in the nba um he was coach of the year a couple of years ago when he won the nba championship i think in wow. 2018 19. yeah nick's gone and done big things but i ended up playing it for him for three years i, I played a year for manchester we won the championship that first year at manchester and uh and then i didn't, the owners actually pulled out of the team, so the team effectively folded that year. Then I signed for Brighton. I was at Brighton for three years, Um and then Nick actually took over Brighton after after the first year. So he coached me for another two years after that.
1: Yeah, this is this is what's so interesting about doing these kind of these podcasts. Is like some people will know this about you, right? And and you know you you were tall guy, as we said, you, you you fit in the sort of realm of basketball in our eyes, I guess. But you, you're a professional basketball player. That's like you were right absolutely fully fledged yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. it's amazing a lot of people won't know that
2: yeah yeah it was a yeah it was a it was a lovely it was a it's a lovely career and it and it it, it, as i said earlier it it, just being in sport can teach you so much just about life it's 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 weird but i'm telling you when you when you listen when you're playing in a in, in a sport and you lose confidence and you're and you lose when there's simple things that you can do, such as shoot the ball, and you lose confidence in your game, and you stop shooting, or you're on a you're on a losing streak, and you just lose confidence, and you think, how can things that I train and I've trained for years and years and years, and I know technically, physiologically I can do, that I'm second guessing myself, and you're not doing mm. certain things, and then you got to kind of figure out how to pull yourself out of that proverbial hole. Yeah, it's amazing how things, lessons like that can apply to other areas of life. I was going to say, yeah, that's,
1: that's all transferable because when you talk about that, yeah. I don't, I've never played basketball or at least I've, I've thrown a basketball, I've not played it. But I can think of that in other areas, anything. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's what's so impressive. but That's what's so interesting for me sitting here listening to this is you mentioned it earlier about um, people doing extra curricular activities. It's anything, isn't it? Anything on the side that can anything. bring you these sort of experiences, Absolutely. interests, all that kind of stuff.
2: It's, it's that practical... That practical experience of doing something where you have a goal similar to, to you and your boat. Your is it called a boat? Yep. It's called
1: a boat. <laughs> We've been there.
2: And and you going from a stage where where from the beginning where you've got this hollow shell and you've got a goal of what it can be at some point in the future, and you walk in that path. Yeah, it's no different. It's like that that the analogy of that hollow shell could is analogous to me when I was a young guy and I didn't have any skills and I shot that basketball for the first time and walked that journey and then became, you know, somewhat of a, you know, really, really competent professional player at some point where I was good enough to earn a living from, 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 from playing the game, you know, and it's just walking that pathway. And it's just, just knowing, it's knowing it's, it's being able to dream big and see a vision that, is bigger than what you currently see yourself, and that's what's hard. Especially a lot of people around our demographic, with around this area, you know, you know, there's there's a lot of you know poverty and there's a lot of um, lower standards of living, you know. And I think part of our job as educators is to help young people to see a grander vision. Of what's possible yeah. to help them to strive for that because you won't always see it. And I was fortunate, as I said, I didn't travel before I started playing basketball and it taught me and it took me different places and it, and it allowed me to see different places. And I thought, oh, wow, I can
1: do that. Yeah, I mean, this story itself is inspiring, right? So hearing this, you mentioned your, your family were like, you know, what are you doing? You're not doing that. It's because, and you've not had anyone before you do that. So, no. but that's why this is so powerful and inspiring, right? Because it's proof that it's great, it was not easy, but it's doable, right? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I... I can really say what Andy said it's I mean I'm I'm not a basketball player but just hearing that it's it is really inspiring and just you can take a lot from it and relate to it quite a lot so the other question I want to ask you Errol um was about your producing so yesterday you came up to the office and you showed us some tracks that you've been working on
2: so I don't in in full, full discretion. I don't produce. I've got my my good friend Patrice Gordon. He's the producer. Um, but yeah, I do. I do I do some uh, some music, some hip hop, um, and it's a it's, it's something I did um, really um, around. I did I did it when I was younger. We used to mess around. A friend of mine, um, and and I was working at uh, Effie College around the two thousand Nine ten mark, and I did some stuff there with with a uh, a music technician there, and, I did, and he had some beats, and I and I laid some stuff down there, and I didn't really do anything for the whole of the two thousand and tens leading up to lockdown, where you know it was. I, I always looked at lockdown as an opportunity from the beginning, and that was a cognizant thing. I was like, I am going to use this time if we're going to be stuck and we're not going to be able to go anywhere. And uh yeah, just me and, and my mate, we just we it was like, let's do some music, literally. And and he had just started producing at this particular time. And um and, and he's he had really rudimentary beats at the beginning, you know, the first couple of beats, like, yeah, it's all right. And just even just his progression from his producing over the last, you know, over the last two years. Or when I say two years, I'm going back to the beginning of lockdown effectively. So that's what, March two thousand and nineteen. And he's produced well over a hundred, you know, hundred and twenty beats up to this particular point, but probably more than that. And uh and during that time, yeah, we we we've done two collaboration um albums. Um I've done one um one solo one, then we remixed the solo one myself. It's just been a fun process. I I literally just do it because I, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy the writing process. I enjoy I enjoy the whole process from from conception hearing a beat. And then being able to think, oh, what could I do with that particular beat? And then putting something down, which is, you know, which is this, which I enjoy. I, you know, I'm i I'm, I'm, a massive hip hop fan, always have been. Um, and I enjoy just being able to do something to a fairly competent level. I think I'm decent. You know, I've never had the aspiration to be a professional or perform to any level, but i but yeah, I mean, I just do it if it's good enough. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just enjoy doing. it. I, re- I really do. I can't even say more than that.
0: So with basketball and music and like extracurricular activities, what unites all those? Do you think?
2: That's a great question. Actually, um, I would, I would say creativity. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. I, I wouldn't want to go to the grave knowing that there's things I could have done. That I didn't do, and it, and it sounds kind of cliche, but it's true. I, I, I like, I've been blessed with certain abilities, talents, you know, and there's some that are, you know, probably unfounded that I haven't revealed yet. But I've done loads of things, and you know, I've done some stand up comedy as yeah, well, yeah. and that was a whim that could probably be a whole another podcast in itself. Um, you know, I'm an author. I've I've authored a children's book. Um, and a lot of them come my way where I just have a flash of inspiration. I think, well, oh, I can do that. And and I just like to do it. And the thing with me, I like to do things that I can do to a competent level and above. I don't like to do things that are substandard. And I'll, I actively will stay away from things that I, if I know I'm not good at, I won't even do it. But if I know I can do something and I can, even with the music, for example, when we first started, even when I listened to the stuff that we did early on even the stuff I did early on, you know, in the early two thousand t- and tens. But when I, the stuff that we did initially during the first phase of uh, lockdown, you know, it's interesting to listen to, the, to my music as they've progressed and see how much we've improved, how my deliveries improved, how my how our productions improved. And it's not the best, but it's a progression. And it's like with everything that I, that I do, I like to be able to like just get my. You know, get my mitts onto him and see where I can take it. And and I'm a sort of person where I can lose interest quite quick, quickly, and something else can take my attention, and it's like boom, then I I can be onto the next thing as well. So, but what unifies it is that expression of creativity. Yeah, it's great, Errol. I've got one
0: last question: Who's the greatest of all time?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. The greatest of all time is undoubtedly. Michael Jeffrey Jordan Um, he's not my favourite player of all time um, but he is the greatest player of all time that is undisputed
0: Brilliant well Errol thank you so much for joining us on the podcast it has been really insightful to hear about all these things and I think a lot of people will uh, respond to this really well so if you'd like to be on the podcast please send us an email we're Digital learning at bdc.ac.uk. And we'll be back next fortnight with another episode.
1: Thanks, Errol.
2: Really good. Awesome, guys. That was, that was, that was fun. I enjoyed it.
1: we're good? There we go.